Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they lived in another city around the world. And this show is brought to you in part by Anytime Soccer Training. Anytime Soccer Training is the only training app with over 1,000 training videos and 101 fun games. And if that wasn't enough, we just launched another video series uh, where we're offering all of these skill challenges. So if you can picture this, your child will practice using the standard curriculum, okay? And then they will, uh, they can also play the games and stuff as well. And all the videos are 100% follow along. But as they work through the cur- curriculum, uh, a skills challenge game will pop up and they have to do that as well. And we just posted one in the Facebook group, very basic uh, toe tap challenges, challenging the kid to get as many toe taps as they can in 30 seconds. So if you go to the Anytime Soccer Training Facebook group, you'll see that. Then what we're going to do is when you post videos to the Facebook group or online um, giving us a shout out, then we will contact you and we'll feature that on our Anytime Soccer Training website. And speaking of that, if you're not familiar with Anytime Soccer Training, go to anytime-soccer.com. You can join and see the app. You can join for free and you can see all the content. And if you join a mailing list, we'll send you seven, a seven-day ball mastery challenge in addition to a few of the challenges that I'm talking about. So definitely check out Anytime Soccer Training and let's get on to the show. So now we're traveling all the way to South Africa. And I've had a wonderful conversation and we're continuing the conversation with a coach and founder of a, a youth club in South Africa by the name of Sindele. So Sindele, I want you to introduce yourself. I want you to introduce the city that you live in. I'm not even gonna try to butcher it. And then tell us the name of the club that you founded. Hi, greetings to Anytime Soccer, the fans and all the coaches. I'm into you, Neil. Uh, My name is Sandile Mazibuko. I am from South Africa. Um, I live in Richards Bay, KZN. So um, my name, or the name of my team actually is NUFLs. Um, It's a grassroots team because I am trying to nurture um, young kids to football. So, but yeah, NUFLs. Okay, so, so welcome to the Inside Scoop. And we're going to post your information to the Facebook group and in the show notes. Folks in the soccer space in the States try to help our nonprofit, international nonprofits as best they can. I'm working on something that we're going to launch next year that's going to formalize that. So um, stay on the lookout for that. And I appreciate your time. So for our loyal listeners, they know what I'm going to do now is give you a quick overview of U.S. soccer and how it's set up. 
And then we're going to juxtapose that to um, how it works in your city within South Africa. And in our pre-notes, you kind of said that your city is pretty small or your town is pretty small. So you can also bounce that and, and let us know, like if you were in a larger town to the best, you, to the best of your ability. But because we've been doing the show for a while, I'm only going to give you the very, very, very high level short version of U.S. soccer. OK, so yeah. here we go. So there are two big buckets of soccer in America. There is school soccer, right? There's soccer that's associated with the schools. And then there's club soccer. Soccer basically does not accept associated with the school. Now, and I would, it's not necessarily, I, I actually, let me take that back. It's not really club soccer, but it's just not school soccer. And then within the soccer that's not school soccer, um, hold one second. Okay, so there was one technical difficulty. So for the purposes of this show, we're not talking about school soccer. We're talking about the non-school soccer, also called club. And then within that, they have, we have a recreational, and that's just where mommy and daddy coach, okay? And it's just for fun. And our recreational goes from, you know, itty bitty kids all the way up to adult leagues. And then we have competitive soccer. And competitive soccer has all the different categories, and those, those categories change as the kids get older. So at first, competitive soccer will kind of look like recreational soccer because the kids are pretty young. But then once they get a little bit older, they break out into all of these various levels of competitive soccer, with the highest level being like an academy, and they have all these other names, but don't worry about it. It's, the highest level will be like an academy-type program. And then they have all of these competitive leagues in, in club teams, sorry, excuse me, underneath it, okay? That's competitive soccer. Uh, and then some kids still play rec. And then they have some leagues that are kind of in between rec and in, in between competitive soccer. But the biggest, I should say, in between rec and in between academy or hardcore competitive soccer. But the biggest takeaway I want you to get, Sandele, is that it's really, really structured. So if you moved here and you told me and you brought a child here, say a 10 year old child, and you said, my child is really serious about soccer, then I would be able to say, yep, okay, you're going to go down to the local club and you're going to try out for their team and they're going to put you on the highest team in theory that your child qualifies for. But then if you came here and said, oh, my child just is um, just wants to play for fun then you could go to that same club or you can go to different clubs and sign up for a recreational program. And that recreational program may last eight weeks where the competitive program will last year round, 10 months. And the recreational program will be eight weeks, but it will be two eight week seasons just for fun. One practice a day, one practice a week and then a game on the weekend. And even that will be more intramural. And then on the, but the competitive, it can be as competitive as a professional club all the way down to really competitive, but the kids won't be at the level of a, you know, like a academy level player. So that's the gist of it. And then what we'll do is, as you describe how it works in South Africa, then, you know, I'll, I'll interject. And the final thing is there is club soccer, but that club, I'm sorry, school soccer, but that school soccer doesn't start until you're about 13 or 14. Seventh, seventh grade, so it's either 13, 14, 12, 13, 14 at age. 
Uh, and then you can kind of play for your school. But in the States, that's not considered to be as competitive as sort of the club soccer. And so then I'll end with this to say that the biggest difference between one of the biggest differences between U.S. soccer and what you may be used to in the rest of the world is our kids, for the most part, when they're really young, are not scouted into these developmental academy situations. Parents pay to get their kid into these clubs, and then eventually the best ones end up making it to a, an academy situation. As opposed to the rest of the world, the kids typically play in a grassroots environment, and then someone from the academy sees them and um, all expenses paid signs them to play in the academy. So that's the short version. Okay, so now that I've said all that, let's talk about the big buckets that um, soccer falls under or the big, I should say it like this, the big soccer pathways that are available for children in South Africa, the big groups. Okay, um, so in South Africa, um, we have three that will deem as like the big buckets. So firstly will be academy football and development slash recreational. And then there is also school football. So the academy football, these are clubs that are attached to professional teams or professional academies. Um, and then development leagues, these are from um, the outskirts. So those struggling clubs, they normally go for development football. Rarely do we have creational football because a lot of parents are not involved in SA football, especially at that young age. So we have development football, which covers the grassroots of um, development. And then there is school football, even though in South Africa, especially in the developed states, provinces, um, they do have some sort of programs that they run for their schools, but in parts of South Africa, it's non-existent, you know, because we are a third world country and we're not as advanced as yet. Yeah. Okay, so if I understand that you have school football, you have grassroots football, which is also called developmental, developmental, and, and then you have the academy football. Is that correct? Is that correct? Yes, yes. Okay, so now what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the grassroots football so we can understand that better. Yeah. Okay. So, and guys, the reason I was going kind of slow is we've had some feedback issues. So if we do, then I'll hit pause. Oh, and come back to you guys. Okay, so we're back. So now we're going to talk about grassroots football. So um, help me understand exactly what that means. And let's think about the big, big buckets of grassroots football. So what age can they start? Let's assume I have an eight-year-old that comes over there and they want it and I want to sign them up for football. I want you to start think, uh, describing to us what age can they play, how are the leagues organized? How, how are the clubs organized? How formal is it? Do they have uniforms? What literally am I going to see and what am I going to experience? How much are they training? Who is training them? Describe um, grassroots football in your area, and then you feel free to throw uh, larger cities in if that helps. 
uh, so that our listeners can get an idea of what it would be like if their child lived and played football in South Africa? Um, so in my city, in my area, um, I, as I did say, I live at Mpagini, Richards Bay. Um, we do have clubs that offers grassroots football, especially that like we don't have as many academies. We, we may have one or two, um, but we don't have more than that. Um, so most of the clubs are into grassroots football, the, the development football. Um, so as I was saying, we normally start late. So we have only formal leagues for U13. So U13, 15, 17. So below that, U11, U9, it's up to the club if they are interested to start as that early in the development of um, young players. So in my club, NUF Wolves, I've only started um, having U9s recently. We've, we've had U11s in the past two years, but I mean last year, sorry, sorry. Um, from last year because I, I formed this club last year in 2020 during the lockdown. Um, most clubs don't have units. So I'm trying to bridge the gap because as I did um, say, I'm working and learning from you guys, especially anytime soccer, when parents or coaches um, post on the Facebook group, I learn because I want to run my club as an international club. I think coming from this disadvantaged background will help us to have an edge with the teams around us. So it gives us an, a competitive edge. And I like that anytime soccer, you know, you have videos. I was watching those videos um, earlier today, you know, just to get used to, and I think I'm going to sign up, one of the kids is going to sign up for the challenge. Um, it, it's, it's, it's nice. It's what I teach these kids at, a, at an early age. So coming back to what we're saying. So it's it's not as formal. So U8, U9, U10, U11, U12, it's not formal. And who trains them? I train them because not as many people are interested in coaching these young kids. So you'll find that a coach coaches the whole team of like U13, U15, U17, until U19. Reason being, they aren't many. And then um, they normally train. Um, so below U9, they train maybe three times a week. And then on the weekends, they play. But from U13, U15, they train every day, Monday to Friday, depending on which team. But in my area, most of the time, they train from Monday to, to Friday. And then on weekends, they play games. Yeah. Okay. okay. And if you get feedback, I'm, I'm going to ask you to mute. Okay, so that's good. And by the way, definitely have one of them do the toe tap challenge and post a video. I'll put you guys on the yeah, website. Yeah, That'll yeah. be fun. Definitely, definitely joining that one. You know, uh, thanks oh, to you guys. <laughs> okay, so but let's all right, but let's get into the real details. I moved there. I so let me again. If you move to Cary, North Carolina, where I'm based, and you want your eight year old to play soccer, you would go down to the local. We have local clubs. They would give you the paperwork or you fill the paperwork online. You pay your $120 or something for a rec program and your kid would get eight games, nine games, and somebody would have to volunteer to coach. And that's kind of how it works. 
But what I'm, yeah. so I understand you're saying the clubs don't provide, uh, they don't cater to kids that young. But what I can't picture is, is there just nothing? So you just, you just, I mean, I understand that you're saying you've created something to help fill that gap. Fill that but, gap. But what would but, happen if you didn't do like, is there, and then who do you play? Like, are there any clubs that say, yeah, we have this program for this age group at the grassroots level? So what normally happens is we have a local football association, um, SAFA local football association. So when you play, um, so the one that we play under is Umshatuze um, local football association. It's in South Africa. Um, they are teams that have these age groups. So it's up to you as a club to challenge a team that also has um, U9, U11. But they are starting to include the U11 in the um, structure of formal league now because they are trying to close that gap between us and you guys and the European because they start as early as six. We start focusing on players at 13. So can you see the difference, you know? Yeah, yeah. so if I had so, to summarize it, there, there will be some grassroots clubs that are registered with the football association that have started offering um, football opportunities for kids that young, but it's definitely not as robust as our um, leagues are. um, Yes. It's not. Sorry, we had technical difficulties. So it's not as robust as ours in here in the States, but what I'm trying to get at is, but and and I'm trying I'm probably trying to put a peg into a, a circle, but what literally am I gonna is my child? Am I, I got an eight year old? Literally, what's gonna happen? Are you gonna tell them there's one club I know that offers a program and they play two or three teams, or are you gonna say there's one club that has some training and then there's somebody who organizes games? Like literally, what is gonna happen to my eight year old if I get to South Africa or your city? And I want them to play in a team environment. Are you going to say, "It's sorry, it's just not an option. All you can do is free play until you get a certain age. So I'm about to. Um, so, yeah. So you um, you didn't answer that one. Yeah. So basically, it's what you just said. You just free play until you reach U11. That's our only hope in my city. But in the big cities like Johannesburg, um, there are U8 leagues, there are U10 leagues, there are U12 leagues. So it just depends um, on which part of the country that you're at. But from where I am at at the moment, there isn't much, you know, I only have um, U9s because I've been learning from you guys that it's best to start as early as possible so that the players have more touches on the ball. So that by the time the U11s, they already know all about the football, even though it's not everything that's technical, but the 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 the, the technique the technique that goes to football, you know. So the touches, the the confidence, you know. And unfortunately, we don't have anything that involves parent coaching kids non-existent. That one is just non-existent. That's why we formulate these clubs because parents, most of them are not as involved with the kids 
Okay, so from a cultural perspective, and if it mutual yours, from a cultural perspective, the parents are not going to get involved with the kids' football. So when I when I hear coaching, there are two types of coaching. There is parent signs the kid up for a program, and then they work with them at home, and then there is, there is parent volunteers who. Uh, uh, actually coach the team. And if I understand correctly, you're saying culturally that just doesn't happen in your area. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't happen. Like a lot of teams, especially grassroots teams here, um, it's up to those, up to the guys like me who volunteer to open up clubs and then um, the kids come play, you know, because it's not a structure. Like there isn't like a, a formal structure that's in place put in by the local football association you know to say this is how it should be done this is how you formulate a club who should be involved in the club it's performed basically at, at that low level it's performed it's up to you what you want to do so when you form a club with the football association what paperwork or what are you giving them in order to do that or do you like? Do you need insurance? Do you get? Do you have to write a letter? Is it a form? Like, what is it that you're doing to let them know that now you're a formal football club recognized by the association? So you fill up some documents, documentation to register the name of your club because we, as you know, you can't all have the same names, um, or to avoid name clashes. So they apply for your name for your club. For me, like any fools, I have to wait until they cleared it. And then you register your club, you pay an admin fee every year for around 200 rands. So that's around 15, yeah, it should be around $15 in, in, in the US. So you pay that amount each and every year. So that's you telling them that on that year you are participating, your team is participating for the whole 10 months of the football activities that's that's um that's uh, provided by the football association okay and then and then are you um submitting like the equivalent of birth certificates or something of each player to that club to the fa so yes. that they get some kind of card yes so yes they get like laminated cards so every player submits uh, a form to register it has document information like the school the grade um the parents and also the, the parents must sign it and then um there is also attached to it is a, a birth certificate you know just to to ensure that it's the right um kit and then there's also an id photo size on the on the on the card so it, it's just to just formalize everything and make sure we see uh, everything is structured properly. Okay. And then in your area, roughly how many grassroots clubs do you, can you, do you think are roughly in your area? And I'm asking that to say, or a better way of saying it is how many different teams might, might your club play against? And are you guys part of a league that plays regularly or do you organize games as you go? So we are a part of a league, um, because in my area, we have around 12 clubs that we normally participate with um, during the course of the year. 
for the 10 months. And then normally um, you will branch out to other teams in, in, within the FA because our FA is, is, is um, divided by streams. As we know, which financially or not all teams can, can afford to move to all the streams on each weekend. So in our stream, we have around 12 clubs. We play um, with of them. And then we play with other teams maybe three times or four times a year, you know. And how long is your season? Officially, it's from January to um, November. But when the football kicks that, normally kicks that end of Feb until late November. So around 10 months to be specific. Okay, so it's roughly a 10-month season. So... The league yeah. may kick off, and then you can decide to practice, have like a little preseason to make the season a little longer. If that's if that's up to your discretion, then. Yes. And if how much are the parents paying to uh, have their kid participate in the grassroots program in general? So it depends where you are. Um, in my area, because not a lot of parents are involved. Um, we hardly have something like that. Um, in my in my area, it's almost non-existent. But there are parents who try to assist a team. Let's say, for instance, um, I was I was trying to run a program for my team because we're also struggling for you know soccer boots and soccer balls and all those things. So we're trying to create a program where parents um, raise funds to buy soccer boots and buy soccer balls and all the other training equipment. But in most cases, they don't pay anything because the guys who open up clubs, they are the volunteers in the community. But as you move on to Johannesburg, um, I am under the impression that some parents pay money for their kids to be able to live in those big cities, attend full and attend the football um, programs that those clubs provide at grassroots level. Okay, and then do you guys have different layers? Like, so within the grassroots leagues, so quote unquote, the best kids play on the A team and then the next best play on the B team. Is it structured like that? Cause that's how, so in the state, we don't have grassroots in that way, but we basically have these leagues and the clubs submit clubs. the teams submit the teams hit uh hit mute on yours the clubs submit the teams um based on how good the teams are and they play in these different leagues and the leagues are or for the most part are based on how good the kids are do you guys do that at the grassroots level it depends on what the club can produce um we, we don't normally go for you are the best, so you have to play against the best. They just play all these kids. We just um, try to develop them in the same space. Obviously, in Houting, where there is Johannesburg, they have um, a, a big league called the GDL, which is the biggest in the country. So that's the, the most advanced we have in the country at the moment. Um, they have the premium one way all the professional clubs um, development teams play and then there's a promotional one so that's like the best 
and then a lighter version of it. So I think with your structure is how you put it, that will kind of go the same way. But in my area specifically, we just play with all the teams that are, are there. We don't like separate them by being the best or being the, the weakest. Yes, and um, and I'll get to that, um, the, what you just described in a bit. Okay, so, but from the grassroots, you don't have all of these different levels right. within grassroots. No. In your area. That makes sense. Okay. Now, if I were, how many days a week does your club train? So my club trains um, five days a week. Um, we divide by division. So U9s, U11s, they train three times a week. U13s, U15s, they train five times a week. And then the, the senior side, they train four times a week. And how long is the training? Normally an hour and a half, you know, normally an hour and a half. It, it's, it's not more than that in most cases. And is that indicative of a typical grassroots situation to train three times for the foundation players and five times a week for the um, developmental players, the little bit older ones? Um, it's, it's, it's something that I, while I was doing my research on the big clubs or big academies in the world, I was trying to go for what they normally do. And I thought that time is sufficient to you know develop a kid. Um, and for my team, it's working wonders. For my team, as I was saying, these kids are playing, these kids are gifted. It's just that we're in, a, in, a, in an area where there's a lot of disadvantages, but it, it's working wonders for my team. Yeah, I think it's working wonders for my team. Yeah, I mean, so that is a lot of training. And, uh, you know, in some respects, that's really good. So I get that. But what I'm interested in understanding is if I move there and you weren't there, is that is that a standard practice or is that something you're trying to implement? It's something I'm trying to implement. So it's not a standard thing because if it was standard, then a lot of people would be doing it. But because for me, I'm trying to elevate my club to, you know, behave with and have an international mentality, you know. So that's why I'm trying to adopt it and to make more All right, guys, we right back. We had some technical difficulties. So you were saying that you're doing something a little different because you're trying to, uh, number one, make your club have a professional mindset. You're looking at what clubs are doing around the world and you're trying to emulate, emulate that and definitely applaud you for that. And I get that. But in general, what are the other clubs? What would I expect is the standard operating practices for a, I shouldn't, I don't want to confuse it, standard standard operating procedures for grassroots clubs in your area? In general, how often are they training? Or is it all over the place? I, you know, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just trying to get a picture of how, how everyone operates in general. So generally, um, it's free form. It's up to what the club um, decides to do, basically, as a lot of these clubs are not um, structure-headed. So my, I'm trying to be organized. I'm trying to have a structure. I'm trying to have a system, you know, so that we know what we want and we know how to achieve it. You know, I am that type of coach. And unfortunately, a lot of these clubs are run by people who, who don't have 
um, any coaching qualifications or whatever. So, but that's that's outside of what we are talking about here. But the main part of it is a person decides what they want their club to do. So in my in my team, because I am doing my research on how to reach that status or that level where you behave like an international club, I go for a strict program where I know would see on this day someone comes in so and so on this day this age group comes in on this day this age group comes in and in a week how how much do you train so that's me i have it structured so i'm trying to structure it and see how what wonders can it do for our team yeah okay so i understand that All right, so I definitely understand that. And we're about to pivot to the academy football in a second. So a couple more sort of visual questions. Again, you know, we I'm interested in your club, but I'm also interested in understanding what is sort of the general situation, right? So in general, when I go to a practice, and then you can speak specifically about your club as well, when I go to not go to a practice, when I sign my kid up, they're U13, U14. Are we going to the same facilities to train or is it just based on whatever field they can find? Are they wearing unif training uniforms or that's just not happening? I have no idea. Is it what are the game situations looking like? I literally want to visualize what am I going to see Monday through Friday when I move there with my 14 year old kid or 15 year old kid? Is it going to be an assistant coach or just one coach? sort of what would the experience be like with the understanding that your club, you're trying to do things a little differently, but I'm also interested in uh, understanding it in general. Okay. So the academy football is a bit more structured and it's a bit more professional than any other type of football we have in the country for, for the development yeah, of kids. But hold on though. But let me cut you off though and say, we're still talking about grassroots football. I, oh, your friend. Oh. What am I going to see? Am I going to see kids at practice wearing uniforms? Am I going to see kids not wearing uniforms? Um, the practice, in most cases, no, you won't find uniform. Um, but um, this is my area, and the practice won't be in uniform. But the games are in uniform. The soccer boots games, so everything is strictly like trying to be as professional as possible. Um, coaches, obviously we are understaffed, you know, but when, when you move to other regions, you know, they even the training of kids, they have um, kids or the team or clubs uniform, you know, um, and they have coaches, maybe two coaches per, per division, like for U9s, for U11s, for U13s, it, it, it just depends. In, in those clubs, to the best of your ability. Again, guys, if it's choppy, that's just because we're going back and forth with muting because we're having some technical difficulties. But this is so such good information. I just want to plow through it. So those clubs that are a little, those grassroots clubs that are a little bit more structured, where they may have uniforms and they may have two coaches and they may train at the same facility in the bigger cities. Are the parents paying any money? 
yes, they are paying um, money. Um, reason being, they are trying to cope with the financial um, financial of running the club. So yes, they do pay money the parents on the on those leagues or on those development clubs in the developed regions. And if I had to, if you had to guess roughly how much are they paying if I in those uh, bigger cities to play grassroots football? Hundred dollars. So that would be one point five, one thousand five hundred friends. So that's a hundred dollars per per kid per month. Oh, so they might pay as much as a hundred dollars per month in the bigger cities to play grassroots football. Yes. And that would get them uniforms, you know, better coaching, more yes. structure. More structures and closer to the bigger clubs. And closer to the bigger clubs. Yes. Okay. Now, and that is not, that infrastructure in that system does not exist in a smaller township like where you're at now. No, it doesn't. And part of what you're trying to do with your organization is elevate the level of foot, grassroots football in your community. Is that fair? Yes, yes. That's why I'm trying to adopt those principles with my club also. And then in terms of coaching, who else, does anyone else coach at your club other than you? I do have some coaches who normally come and assist, but in most cases, a lot of people are not as interested in developing these young kids. So I do like most of the job, but there have been some coaches in the past who came in maybe for eight weeks or less, and then they just move on to other things, you know, because this thing is hard and you have to do it consistently for the kids. Hey, welcome to the club. So, and then are you guys training at the same area? I'm going to say facility, using that term broadly, the same field every day, or do you have to find somewhere? Are you going to a public park? Or how does that work? How does that work? So in, in two different spaces, the senior guys, they train um, at a different um, facility, and then the kids or the U18s, the U11s, the U9s, they train also at a different facility. So we try to make sure that the U9s practice in a, a futsal-like pitch so they get more touches on the ball and they gain more confidence when they are playing in a space, you know. Okay, but what I, and, and that's good, but what I'm but, trying to unpeel is, are you going to the municipal? So let me tell you the states. When, when we sign our kid up for a recreational program, we pay $120, $130. Part of that money goes to securing a soccer field for them to practice at or securing some kind of field. And normally that organization has worked it out with the municipality to have that field and that's what they use or the organization owns the property. So I'm trying to get from you are you talking to the municipality saying Monday through Friday, this is our, where we train or are you just finding somewhere because it's just a lot of place space available? How does, what are you, how is that working? How's that working? So 
also be done through the Okay, guys, we had some technical difficulties. We're back and we were talking about facilities and you were explaining, I'm trying to get from you if you have to speak to the municipality or is it really just free flow? So you do sometimes speak to the municipality, but most um, clubs at grassroots, they normally um, have agreements or um, permission from schools because most facilities are owned by schools. So you just communicate with the school and then you get that facility uh, to train each and every day for as long as your club exists. There okay. No and if I, if I, so if I'm trying to visualize this, you're on a field that's literally owned by the school. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So final question on this and we'll go forward. So in terms of the kids' skill set, okay, because you've established that in your area, especially, they don't have all these different leagues for those really younger kids. In terms of the grassroots kids' skill set, when they come to you, I guess I got two questions to that. How much are they free playing before uh, they get to U13, U14, and get into the structured environment? And then... What? How would you describe their skill set to the best of your ability? I know that's a hard question, but you know, how much are they free playing? Are they coming to you like with a lot of skill but no structure? Are they coming to you and you starting from the basics? So I, I really want to try to understand your impression about that. Okay, so it's it's just a variation, you know, because sometimes some of them come with like good skills. You just have to teach them the basics. Sometimes. We just have to teach them everything. So for me, I love working with you nines, with you tens, because most of them, they have no clue about football. They just know how to kick it and sometimes not properly, you know. But um, the skill set is major part of them is not as good. But for me, I love that challenge. That's why I start as early as U9, U, um, U11. And one thing I must say is that the kids that I started with when they are seven years old or when they are eight, right now, I just came from training um, four hours ago and they were so, so, so good. I was so impressed. They were playing like a U13. Um, it's just the passion that I instill in these kids and the freedom that I give them, even if they play um, the free flow, free form football, but it's so structured. They understand football. They understand what you have to do to minus an opponent. So that's why I'm saying I'm trying to bridge that gap between us and the global world, you know, because we are really, really, really um, at the back of football, but we are trying, or well, I am trying with my club to just be the club that does things the international way. Yes, and perfect. So you made it, yeah. So, okay. But the last thing on this, and let me just give it to you from my perspective in the States. In the States, in general, the kids do not free play. That's, a, that's the default. So, in other words, the default is if when my boys come home on a Monday, they are not going to go outside and play with other kids in any capacity, let alone football, unless I, as a parent, actively do something to make that happen 
okay? That's different than when I was a kid. So what I'm asking, part it's a two-part question. Number one, eight-year-old who doesn't have access to formal soccer uh, in your area, how much, what is their afternoon looking like compared to the one I just described, which is doing nothing? Are they constantly playing? Do they have balls to play with? Are they making balls out of, you know, my wife happens to be Ethiopian, for example. So they'll make balls out of stuff. Like what, what am I going to see? If I walk through the neighborhood, am I going to see kids playing or are they going to be helping their parents work? Or are they just going to be in the house doing nothing? And then how does that translate into when you do inherit them at that U13, U14? I'm really trying to understand it more from a visual, not, you know, not no, not emotional in that re, in that way regard. Um, so basically an afternoon to a kid who's not like a part of a club will be street soccer. Normally kids they just play on the streets. Um I think that's a culture, that's our South African culture, you know. It's very um rich. Um it can go as far as even professional level. We have like some leagues that take this thing very seriously um but from as early as eight years old the seven years old kids they just stay maybe in the yard maybe on the streets you know and that's why this is where our football like i even branded my style of football as shikora because we are very skillful and we learn this skillfulness in the streets you know and it starts from his early age you, you can see a seven-year-old putting up um, a, a Rabona or a, you all you know these five star skills. They they're not perfect, but you can see that there is that attempt that I know about this thing. It's just that I am young at the moment. So yeah, street soccer is alive. It's a culture, and there is no rule against them kids playing without their parents' knowledge on the street. So is it fair to say then? Unlike in the States, it would be pretty common to see groups of kids organically playing soccer all the time. Is that a fair statement in your area? Yes, 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 yes. Especially in the country, not only in my area. I think that's why it's a South African thing. All over the country, you can find that. So then, and this is a very hard question, okay? So then when that child comes to you and gets into a structured program, what are you inheriting? I know it's hard, but like if you had to describe it to, are you inheriting someone who knows to dribble with their laces, can stop, can move this way, can shoot, or, or are you dribbling, are you inheriting a kid that, that you got to go from step one? Um, most of them you just get like a football iq which is very low but the basics most of the time are off the ball movement the body movement everything is just off you just have to dust it up that's the only way you can do it because they never had like formal training nobody's ever told them to trap with their ankles rather than toes or to kick the ball with their ankles rather than toes you know those kind of stuff or not do like and out, outside, outward pass in the in the in the in the early stages, so that you you get the discipline. It's it's those things, but it just depends on the age of a player. If a player comes to my team, 
and they are U11, U9, U8, I don't mind. Even if they have like, they just started out, I don't mind. But as you go U13, 15, it's problematic because now we've been working with the younger ones and they are above someone who's even older than them. So it's, it's not nice, but that's what we, we face generally. Okay. And so what I'm going to ask for you to do for the Facebook group, especially is just take a video and a couple of pictures so that we can picture it. And I know these are like painful interviews, but man, trust me, I get embroiled in these conversations and we're only talking in theory and I want to go to the proverbial horse's mouth and really, really, really understand in detail what soccer is like in your area. So now let's fast forward to academy football. Okay. Blocking and tackling questions. Are the academy clubs registered with the same soccer, uh, same FA uh, that you uh, just alluded to? The same yes. one at the grassroots ones, sorry. Yes. So the academy football is very different from the development leagues that we have. They have their own programs that is exclusively to them only. They do at some point. Um, um just meet with us but major part of their football is against development teams of professional clubs or just academies only um okay but let me get the blocking and tackling yes 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 so, so i appreciate that but do they register with the same football association yes because everything that is football in south africa is under safa so south african football association yes they do register with safa and what defines them as an academy? What makes them on a, from a, I don't want to, I'm going to use the word legal. That's probably too strong of a word, but what makes them different than grassroots? Is it because they're attached to a professional club? Do they pay some fee to be an academy? What makes them defined as an academy versus grassroots? Um, as you were saying, the major part of it is that they are attached to a professional club. Um, or just a, an academy that has been there for years. So they are strictly about exporting players. We have the Kazakhstan Academy, which transports or send players to Portugal, you know? So- Okay, hold on. To... All right, so hold on. Let me get the, let me, again. Okay, so, all right. So we, one way to be defined as an academy is you're attached to a professional club. But then yeah. there can be academies that are not, do they that do not have a professional first team? Is that fair or is that an incorrect statement? It, it's fair. It's, it's, it's fair. There are academies who are not attached to a professional club. Okay. And those academies still can produce players that go on, that they go on and sell. Yes. Okay. Do those academies, do you age out of those academies? In most cases, yes. So then, because that's how it is in the state. So we have academies that are associated with professional clubs, and then we have academies that are not. Both of them, so, but if you're not associated with a professional club, when you get to the equivalent of U19, you need to find another club, okay? And they have all these semi-professional clubs, and then or you can get signed by a club. But if you are attached to a professional club and you get to U19, U20, or whatever, and you're good enough, you can sign a quote-unquote professional contract with that club and, and then still play. And they have different leagues, so you may not make it to the first team on the, you know, the first contract, 
But if you play well enough, then presumably you'll get to the first team. Is that a fair? So let me ask you this. Are there professional teams in your area that don't have academies? Yes, there are professional teams that don't have academies and they rely on the academies who are not attached to professional clubs to provide them with players. And most of these professional clubs, they also rely on the development um, club to, to, to give them players should it happen that there's a player who's really, really, really talented and got all the right skills for that club. Okay, so is it fair to say that you can get you can go from a grassroots club to one of these uh, lower level professional teams? Yes. yes okay. And then if we had to think about the league structure that academy from adult, we're talking men right now, maybe we'll talk about women as well. But from adult men all the way down to the youth academy soccer, what's at the top? What is the equivalent of your premiership? So the top of our premiership on the academy side is the GDL, as I could say, Gauteng Development League. And then it just goes up from... Um, oh, I'm sorry, say that one more time. Is the GDL? GDL, the Gauteng Development League. So that's the top for the academies. Obviously, from there, as you reach U19, you go to the regional leagues. Okay, but hold on. Let's let's go slow on this one. You, I always tell me we gotta go to night school with me. So, oh, okay. your Manchester United, what your equivalent of Manchester United? What league are they playing in in South Africa? It's oh. Premier Soccer League. So that's the Premier Soccer League in South Africa, the PSL. Um, that's the biggest we have in the country. Um, clubs like Kaiser Chiefs and Orlando Pirates and Mamelodi Sundowns, the former reigning CAF. Um, champions um and then we have national first division Glad okay well hold on all right so hold on one second so that yeah. top league echelon they do they would presumably have academies right yes yes and the it's so big and so national but do those academies do those teams play each other or is it still kind of regional because they're just too far away from each other they play each other. So for them, because they have the financials, they can afford to move around um, the whole province. So that's why I said the GDL, the Houting Development League, comprises of academies and non-professional team attached academies. They all play in that region of country, oh. in that state. Okay. Okay. So let me just try to summarize okay. this. Okay. So let me just try to summarize this, but it's feedback hit, hit mute on yours. Okay. So in England, you got Manchester United that will play in the English premier league. And then they will have some Academy system where those, you know, man city, Manchester United, they play each other. You guys have the same thing, but whatever you call your second, your youth version of that is not called the same thing as your adult version of that league. Is that fair? Yes, correct, correct. Because they just do it by state, but the professional league is done by the national. So you move all over the country, but um, the GDL, you only move within the state. You can't go outside. 
Okay. So again, I'm going to use English terms. So in this case, the man, the, the GDL might be, if we're using, you know, European example, maybe Manchester United, Everton, and Manchester City, because they're in the same state playing in the GDL. And all of those academy, youth academy teams uh, feed into the equivalent of the EPL, which plays all over the country. Is that fair? Precisely. It's exactly as you put it. And then in order for them to have enough teams, then they're going to be other academy programs that are not in have teams that are in the quote-unquote EPA, the equivalent of the EPL. Yes, it's exactly like that. And one of those teams that you mentioned was Kensington? It's Kaiser Chiefs, the biggest club we have in country at the moment. It's Kaiser Chiefs. Then there's also Orlando Pirates. There's also Mamelo de Sundowns. Those are the big three in the country. And they also have they've had some um, continental success in the country. Okay, but what is one of the big clubs in your area that's not part of the equivalent of the big academies in your area that's not part of the equivalent of the EPL? Um, we have the case and um, hold on, I'm going to hit pause because it's breaking up. Hold on. Okay, guys, we're back. So the question I had posed before we went on this little break was, I was interested in understanding the name of an academy team that doesn't have a professional adult club. And you were saying, uh, Sundele? Sundele? So that would be KZN Football Academy. It's one of the biggest we have in our state's province. Um, they trade with international clubs, especially in the Portuguese league. You know, they, 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 they have that access. So they don't have a big club, but they are a professional academy, internationally recognized also. Okay. So... Now the question for me is, number one, do the parents pick any of these uh, uh, official academies? Do the parents pay for their kids to play in those academy football clubs? Most of them, because it's through selection, they don't pay. But there may be some way they require maybe parents to assist in the development of those kids in terms of like school and housing or accommodation, but most of them, they don't pay. It's, it's completely free because they are professional academies. So the academies that don't have a professional team associated with them at the top, how are the, how do you, you may or may not know this, putting it on the spot, but then how are they funded if they're not getting money from the parents? They have sponsors and they are affiliated with international clubs. As I just mentioned, the Kenya Film Academy works with Portuguese um, clubs. So they just like had some players joining Sporting Lisbon. So they have um, co-ops with the international clubs. So that's how they make money sometimes. That's why they don't need to have a, 
a club in the Premier Soccer League in the country, the, the way I see it. Okay, so this is, is this a fair interpretation of what you just said? There is the traditional academy model where you have a first team, a professional first team is in the equivalent of the EPL, and they're going to make money from that club, which then funds the academy. Parents may be expected to pay a little bit, but it's more of administrative fees. Then there are clubs that don't have a professional academy, but they serve almost as a scouting um, apparatus for some of the big international clubs. You mentioned Sporting Lisbon. And when they effectively find those players and send them over, they get paid. And then they may have some co-op where they're getting some operational um, support regardless. Is that a is that a fair assessment of what you are seeing? Yes, it's precisely, precisely the way you put it, it's exactly like that. Okay, so if I were to, so if I moved to South Africa and I felt like my son was really good, I believe this is a parent, okay? And let's assume for the sake of argument, they are, they're really good. They're like the next messy. Am I able to go knock on the door of an academy and say, I want my son to try out? And let me give you an example. In, in, in London, you basically cannot do that. There are exceptions, but in general, you can't go and say, hey, uh, my son is, wants to try out for Arsenal. He's really good. It doesn't work that way. You have to go to the grassroots. Somebody finds you and then a scout, then you get noticed. So how does that work in South Africa? It's basically the same. I think the academies, they have the same international rules. You just can't do it. Wait, it's breaking up. You No, but, and before you go on, I'm saying I got an eight year, I got a nine year old, 10 year old who's amazing. Are, are you, and I come to you and I say, I want him are, to be are by an academy. Are you telling me it doesn't work that way? You have to play in this grassroots club first? Or are you telling me, oh, no, 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 they have trials every year. You can take them. What are you telling me? So you can't go to the club and just say, may I have this kid who's brilliant or who's very gifted, but they do have trials or trials. We call them trials. They do have trials beginning of the year or maybe mid-year to accept um, new players for the on incoming year. Yeah, that one is an option. That's the only option, actually, unless if someone scouts you from your grassroots um, or development team or club. Okay. And how are their leagues set up? And do they have different divisions within the academy system for leagues? Yes, they do. Um, they have the main league and then they have a promotional league. So as I was making an example with the GDL, um, the Gauteng Development League, where they promote if your team does well in all the divisions that it's participating on, U13, U15, U19, and U17, then you, promote, you get promoted to the, the higher ranking of academy football. But if your team doesn't do well, you then get relegated to the other one. And when you get relegated to the other one, are you still part of the GDL or are you just part of something else? You are part of the GDL. It's just that you are the part of a second division of the GDL. And do the academy 
kid, uh, clubs ever play the grassroots clubs in any capacity? They do only by invites, but mainly their priority is the GDL because they are trying to survive. It's, it's just trying to get a competitive edge at an early age. Okay. And then if I were to visit an academy uh, practice, an academy club, what am I going to see? So let me give you an example. In the States, you're going to see that they practice at the same field. They all have uniforms. All the kids will be relatively good. Um, it, it won't be any facility issues. It will look like a mini professional team it just be kids what am i and they're going to practice if they're in an academy they're going to practice at least four days a week in minimum um what am i going to see when i step foot into an academy program in in your area or area that you're from or a situation you're familiar with i think it's actually the same academies all over the world they have the same principles they the academies because they have um access to international markets most of them they they operate that way they have kids who are really good for their age um they all have their uniforms they all have everything is just in order they their training facilities are good their coaches they have a coach or two but let's let, but let's get into the details hold on though so you remember how you said the training facility for your grassroots, you would do a relationship with the school. Are they training in a school environment or do they have their own pitch? Are they using a municipality's pitch? What does that look like? Most of them have their own facilities, you know, just everything is just owned by them. But if they do have something that's, um, that's if they do have something that um, needs the municipality approval, they use, um the the club the main club or the main academy to just find that space for them and what about equipment is it standard just like europe you know they gonna have all the same equipment no issues there yes yes okay and then how many days a week do you think that they're, they're training in general most of them three to five three to five i don't think it's less than three no less than three and then in terms of um how long is it about an hour and a half practice as well? It, it's normally around this because they take the kids, most of them to school. So once they come back from school, then they attend this division from, let's say, um, four to, to five. They, they normally do one hour. So I don't know, maybe they are, um, programs are so intense that they don't need more than an hour, but most of them, um, especially for the U8, U, U9s, they have an hour, then they move on to the next um, age division. But are you saying they take them from the school, so they actually pick them up and bring them to training? Parents sometimes contribute because most of them stay home as they are still young. Most academies, they take um, in-house or football players who are going to stay in residences from the age of 13 from my understanding 
Okay, so from your understanding, it's not uncommon to have a residency program as well. Yeah. So you can be in an academy and not be in a residency, especially when they're young, but you start getting 13, 14, you're saying it's not uncommon for them to be in a residency program? Yes, yes, yes. Not and with that residency program, they would still go to the municipal school, but then live and train with the club. Is that fair? Or is the club offering school as well? Most um, academies, they offer school, um, but they partner with schools in their surrounding um, areas. So it's kind of like they find um, school um, for, for the kids, but if they can't, I am sure they find ways to teach their um, players because they strongly emphasize on education. We are very good at doing that in SA. No, I know my, um, as my, you know, it's funny. My wife's cousin went to a special high school program in, uh, I can't remember which city, but it was yeah. basically all of the kids and the top, no, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it like that, but the top kids in Africa would apply for this program. And then their junior and senior year, or definitely their senior year, they would go to this international school and one, some city in South Africa, I'm going to ask them the name of it and post it in the Facebook group. So I know the deal there. All right, so we're almost wrapping this up. Now, we talked about the gaming program. We talked about the fact that uh, they don't have to, parents don't have to play. Do these academy clubs recruit kids who are not in their area? So it's not, it's not, now in Europe, they have rules, but, uh, so I don't want to misquote, but it's not uncommon for a kid to live in, a, forget about Europe, I'll talk about the States. It's not uncommon for a kid to live three, four hours away, 10 hours away from the academy. The academy sees them and brings them there and puts them with a host family or a residency program. Is that possible in South Africa? Yeah, it is possible because a lot of these kids from all over the country, they are trying to enter into these professional academies. So they are very open to that and if it happens that the kid maybe doesn't stay closer to their club's facilities then they do find a way to assist but generally the u8 unite its local players definitely local okay so what i'm going to ask you to do on the facebook group if you don't mind is definitely post um some websites and i'm going to put them in the note in the show notes of some of the clubs that you're talking about, just so we can picture it. And now let me ask you this, and then uh, we're gonna close with this. And thank you, thank you so much for your time. All right, in terms of multiple sports, okay, I talked about the fact that, you know, my eight-year-old, nine-year-old wouldn't play outside that much unless, you know, I got involved and, and we do. But in terms of multiple sports, what other sport is it, common for the kids to divide their time up into playing different sports or are they mainly playing uh, football? They are mainly playing football because uh, football is the biggest sport in the world and in South Africa and in my area. So it's the number one sport um, that we all um, just by default. If you are a boy or a girl, you always go for football, you know, soccer. Um, so I think 
it wouldn't be uncommon for to to have it would be uncommon to have like different sporting codes, especially in my area. Even though in other parts of the country they do focus on cricket on rugby because SA cricket and SA rugby is like number one in in the world in most cases. So that's that's our strongest point. It's just that football is loved that much. So. But okay, so let me try to understand the cultural piece of it. Let's say you live in one of those cities where rugby and um, uh, cricket are available. Are there coaches or adults in any capacity saying, I prefer my kids to play some rugby and cricket and maybe basketball in addition to soccer? Is that a conversation that people have? Yes, 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 yes. In those areas, yes. But in my area, strictly football in most cases. Okay, great. Now, all right. So, so if I had to, if you had to tell me the average academy player, U13, will, if I ask them to describe their sporting experience, are they going to, what, how much of that pie chart is going to be soccer playing? Organized soccer, playing organized rugby, playing organized cricket, or organized any sport. How would they describe it? So in the States, for example, it's not it's not uncommon for a kid to play a season of basketball, a season of football, a season of baseball, season of soccer. Maybe some of it's overlapping until they get a little bit older. How, how would you describe it there? Um, so we talked about it, your area where that's not – there. those – those types of uh, sports, they don't even, you don't have that opportunity, but in areas that where you do have that opportunity, how would you describe it to the best of your ability? In most, in most um, parts of the country, um, that one is very common. Like you will find a kid who, who participates in two or three sporting courts. So it, it's common. We, we know about it, but that one is mainly pushed by um, school programs. So school football programs, they normally push for the secondary um, sporting codes, but club football, they normally push their solitary. Um, if, if, if my club focuses on football, you are strictly going to play football. Even if my club offers rugby, you are just going to play football. So if you are in the school, the school will say, hey, you should try to play rugby as well for the school. Yeah. Definitely. And can a kid, let's say a 13-year-old, can they play for the school rugby team and, and they're in an academy and play for the academy uh, soccer team? Yes, yes. In my team in 2019, we had a kid who was doing that. Actually, there was two who did that. Okay, good, good. And then the final thing, in terms of the demographics of what we're talking about with these academies, in the grassroots clubs and based on what you're seeing like is it segregated is it mixed white south african black south africans indians what is the demographic so what am i going to see when i look at these grassroots clubs academy clubs what is the demographics like so it's differs um especially for schools if it's a multiracial school, then the the football or sporting codes will be um, multiracial also. 
but um, at grassroots levels, it's mainly the, the development. It's mainly um, based on who lives in that part of the area. So if it's um, Indians, it's going to be Indians. If it's white, it's going to be whites. If it's blacks or Africans, it's going to be Africans in most parts of the country. But as you move to academic football, so academic football is very diverse. Um, it's mainly about talent. It's not, and 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 um, in these grassroots, it's not only also about racial thing or something. It's just that the majority part of people who live there are of that specific group. Um, so academic football, when you go to you go there, it's very diverse because they are from all over the country. Okay, and that makes sense. So academy that football, they're sense. about business, and it's just gonna be it's gonna be more diverse. The grassroots is gonna be more of a reflection of of the area so so in the states it's similar to that in that but we do have an issue with minorities getting access to football you know what i mean like structured football in the way that you know like the competitive structure of football but it's mainly it's also a socioeconomic thing it's not just a racial thing it's like literally it's become more of a middle class luxury to play this kind of competitive soccer and that's something that folks are trying to work on who are much brighter than me, man. So let's go in conclusion. I know you're like, man, this, this is the longest. I, I know you feel like you've been interrogated, but I really like the details because I want to be able to picture it. And then we'll, we'll, you can post video, we can post photos, and then we can start putting this stuff together. Now, last thing, let's talk about your club. What, tell me the name of it one more time. So my club is NUF Woods. NUF Wolves. So I, I I created it with the, uh, you, you know, the license plate of, of a car. Yes. Yeah, so the NUF is a code for my area. And then the Wolves, because um, I was inspired by the Wolves from um, England, the way they played, like a small team, but a giant player. So that was my idea behind it. So I branded it with my place, but also um, with my favorite um, animal, you know, and or team, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Have... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, do you have any young kids? Yes, I do. Um, I have the youngest is twenty fourteen, so he's seven years. Seven years. Yes, the youngest is seven years, and he's so good. I was training them, and the the second youngest is eight, and they are also good. Like I was training them, even if it's one. I will just be on the page, you know, try to make them enjoy the game, have fun, but also just develop, develop. And is that part of the motivation for you creating the club? Yes, yes, it is. And that's why I, I was so strict in, in me turning or trying to run this club as an international club because I know the one does it can do it if you can just teach those kids um, at that early age. Our, our, uh, the, the, the name of this um, young kid is Mecha, we, we, we call it it's a nickname, it's Megabyte, you know, like uh, memory card Megabyte. Yeah. Then there's one called Cavela. Yo, they are so good. So good. Seven, eight years, but they are so good. Okay. Well, I want to see videos of that too. I, I love celebrating our kids. I have, a, uh, I have an eight year old and an 11 year old. And that was part of my inspiration for starting anytime soccer training. I haven't gotten to the point where I can create a club yet, but I do 
do some private training or training. I call it private training. It's really just my kids, friends and that kind of stuff. But it's around that same inspiration that they can enjoy the game, but also develop some skills along the way. Okay, so man, Sandele, anything else you'd like to say in in conclusion? Yeah, so mainly what I would love to um, like just highlight is the the, the way we, I am trying to run this club with an international um, structure, but also preserving the cultural um, South African feel of our football. So there's something we called um, Equijo, which is song, soccer songs. I think you may be... Um, you may know about it, even though it's not your culture, but for us, it's, it's a big thing. And they, they just good for just the team spirit. And they are so important in us getting into the game, you know. So it, it, thank you for, for having us. Thank you for hosting NUF Wolves. And hopefully, um, if, <laughs> you know, in the years to come, we come to the States, we hopefully, hopefully we will meet um, the anytime soccer guys because we are trying by all means to see the world for what it is and be a part of it rather than dreaming of being a part of it, you know. So as Coach Sandile Mazibuko from um, Mwelezane, thank you so much. And um, I really hope that the boys will get something from this interview and also from you guys just because i remember when i posted in the group you you were like oh this is interesting should we have an interview i was like yeah because we are trying to show the world of who we are and it's a really nice thing it's really really nice um it's it's also just about learning other people what are they are doing in their country so thank you for hosting and having nuf wolves we appreciate you guys at any time. So I keep doing up the good work. Thank you. I have nothing more to add, but to say you embody the, um, why we created this podcast because football is a global thing, right? And it's more than just the sport. It's also an opportunity to meet people. It's also an opportunity to fellowship. It's also an opportunity to learn. And we're going to continue the conversation and I want to, we're gonna, I'm gonna invite you back on to talk specifically about your organization and what you guys are doing um, as well. And then we, and we tend to do that. And then we'll think about ways that anytime soccer training, you know, can help. So with that, with that being said, guys, thank you for listening. I know this was a long one, but, you know, I really wanted to get the detail, as much details as I can about football in South Africa. I learned a lot. And so, Dele, what we're going to have to do is we're going to work together on a blog post because uh, a lot of the names and clubs and stuff, it's hard for me to picture. We'll work on a blog post and we'll throw some videos, some pictures in there and some web links and ways that people can support you as well and, and, and network with you. We'll do that. And then that way people can kind of picture sort of what it's like if their kid uh, lived in, uh, in South Africa. All right, so this is Neil Crawford with the uh, Inside Scoop. Let's get better together.